Let's, let's pray together. Lord, our God, we come before you this Lord's Day morning, and we come, and we come with thankful hearts, and we thank you that we are able to gather this morning to worship you, to bless your name, to lift up your name, to hear your word, that you would transform us and help us to become more like Christ. I know the depth of my own need for becoming more like Christ. I see it every single day. And so we pray, Father, as we get into your word, as we sing these songs, as we think of these things, that you would continually work in us and change us, conform us to Christ. We long for that. We want to be like him. And so when our sin is great, may Christ be lifted higher in our hearts. Even now, if there's anyone here overwhelmed by sin and self, may Christ be set forth before their eyes. And may they find rest in him this morning. And so we come thankful. Thankful we can come and gather this Lord's Day to worship, to praise your name. And we look with eagerness to the day when we will know the fullness of your kingdom. And we'll see you, Christ, face to face. And so be with us, Lord. Be with all here. Be with those who are sick. Be with those who are needy. Be with those who are broken. Be with those who are well. May you work in our hearts. May you help us as we face life. We don't set aside your word and say, well, that's not related to the real world. But we say the word tells us about what is the real world. And so as we live out our lives in this world, may we not disconnect our faith from life. I pray and even plead for us in that. That you'd help us to love you with everything we are. Help the gospel be sweeter to us this morning. May Christ be glorious. May we glory in the truth that as far as is the east is from the west, so far does you have removed our sins from us. So may we rest in Christ even as we go to your word now. May your word work in us and affect us and move us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the letter to the Galatians. We'll be looking at Galatians chapter 5. Verses 2 through 12 this morning. And I'll begin reading here with verse 1 of chapter 5. May the Spirit of God work powerfully in us and illuminate His Word for us this morning. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. 
You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. As we consider these words from God and His Word in Galatians, even as we have been doing over these last many months now, walking through Galatians, if you had only one word to summarize the whole letter to the Galatians, it could well be that one word in Ephesians or Galatians 5, verse 1. Freedom. Freedom. And that word freedom, of course, by itself, it brings, I'm sure for you, many various things to your mind. You might think when you hear freedom immediately, you might think America, you know. Or you might think of, you know, freedom of speech, perhaps. Or you may even be thinking of what freedom is, you know, the opportunity to do what we desire. Or if you're a movie buff like I am, maybe you thought of the movie Braveheart even with Mel Gibson. Or on the flip side, you might have thought of what freedom is not. So freedom is not chains, right? It's not slavery. It's not compulsion. It's not dictators and dictatorial governments. It's not communism. All of that is the opposite of freedom. However, here, Paul, he is talking about a sort of freedom that you can have regardless of what government you are under and wherever you are throughout the world. A freedom that goes beyond America beyond whether you are a slave or free, beyond your race, beyond gender, or beyond social status. You might be in chains, you might be abandoned by the world, and you might even be in a concentration camp, and yet you can have this kind of freedom. This is a freedom above all freedoms. And it is the truest of true freedom. And this is the freedom Paul is talking about here. It's life. It's forgiveness. It's grace. 
in Christ. So you might well be the wealthiest of the wealthy. You might be the most powerful of the powerful. You might have a good many things in this world, but if you lack this, you lack everything. Freedom, true freedom, is only found in Jesus Christ. And so, here is Paul fighting for this freedom. And so the first thing that Paul wants us to do here, as we hear and and take in these words, is to hold fast to this true freedom. Hold fast to this true freedom. And the heartbeat of this freedom is grace. Grace. The core, the center of this freedom is Christ. However, the Judaizers, they're going around saying, more is needed. (laughs) They're saying and preaching that Christ is not enough. No, no, you need more than just Jesus. And so they have deceived the Galatians. And they have essentially handed over to the Galatians a nicely wrapped package with great adornment, yet inside the package is death. It's a bomb waiting to go off. And so while then the Judaizers, they're trying to pull down the Galatians, here is Paul exerting everything he is to keep them above the water and keep them from going under. And so Paul, he is saying to the Galatians, no, those people, they are liars. Their hope in circumcision, their hope in the law, their hope in anything other than Christ is no hope at all. And so he's saying, circumcision is not what makes you a Christian. Circumcision is not what makes you a Christian. And we see that plainly here. In verses 2 through 3 and verse 6. And so verse 2, Paul, he says, If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And so as he writes this, this isn't entirely new to us. We have heard him say these things in various ways before, especially in Galatians chapter 3. And so all of this is building up and building off of his earlier words. He has shown them that life has never been found through the law. It has never been found through circumcision. And so it was that he wrote then in Galatians chapter 3 verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
And so before the law, before circumcision, before any of that, Abraham, he was declared righteous by God by faith. We saw that in Galatians 3.6. You can go back to Genesis 15.6 and you'll see it there also. It wasn't anything he did. It was just grace. It was God's grace. And by faith he was declared righteous. And so as Megan read a moment ago from Hebrews, you know, as Abraham went on and he did this and he did this and he did this, we need to ask then, well, how did he do it? Did it say that, oh, yeah, he just, man, he just, you know, bore down and pulled up his bootstraps and got it done, you know? Is that what it said? No, it was by faith. By faith, by faith again and again. And so the basis of our salvation has never been nor ever will be based on what you do. Freedom is not found there. It's found by grace through Christ. And so Paul, he is saying all this and he is essentially pleading with them, don't abandon grace. Don't abandon grace. If you add anything to Christ, human effort, circumcision, works, whatever you add, if you put anything plus Jesus, you're abandoning grace. And so he says in verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace if you add anything to Christ. Now we might be alarmed at his words here, maybe. (laughs) But really he's already said something like this before. He said something similar to this in Galatians 4.11. If they go to the law... If they go to circumcision, he will have labored in vain. This isn't saying that you can lose your salvation. What it's saying is essentially they will prove that they never knew Christ in the first place. They will be be leaving behind hope. They will be leaving behind the gospel. They will be leaving behind grace. And so you can either you can either have grace or you can have human effort. You can't have both. And so he's calling them. And he's calling us and he's calling you and I to choose. Which one will you have? If you choose works as the basis of your salvation, you abandon Christ. You abandon freedom. You abandon life. You abandon grace. And so you must choose. Which will it be? Will you just 
be aiming and working with everything you are to try to get your way to heaven. Oh, Lord, maybe he'll set me on that day if I've done all of this stuff to get there. Or will you just abandon yourself and sin and say wholly and fully, His grace is enough. Christ is enough. He has paid it all. And as we consider this, I think that we can, or this can show itself in a number of ways in our day. And not even just in our day, but even in their day. But it can show itself in all sorts of ways. This kind of circumcision. Ah, you know, circumcision, Paul. We don't, we don't really talk about circumcision all that much, you know, today. I mean, no one's worried about that. But we do do this as well in all sorts of ways. It might be, which, my goodness, is such a danger. It may very well be why many right now, maybe even you, think you're a Christian and you're not. But it could be a sort of worldly grief. A worldly grief. So consider Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 11. It says there, For godly grief, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also uh, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So worldly grief, you were to think of it, is not Godward. It is world word. <laughs> it is appeasing the world. It is appeasing people. It is essentially penance. So J.I. Packer, the author and theologian, now passed on, he writes that this kind of grief, grief this is what it is. It is remorse It is self-reproach and sorrow for sin. Have you had that? Maybe you did when you said you came to faith in Christ, but big problem here then. It is remorse, self-reproach, and sorrow for sin generated by fear of punishment without any wish or resolve to forsaking sin. I mean, how many people came to an altar to accept Christ for that reason. I just don't want to be punished. I just don't want to go to hell. I don't want my family to think I'm weird. I want to avoid the consequences. Well, that would be worldly grief. There's no real treasuring of Christ and a seeing of the, the terribleness and the graveness and the seriousness of your sin, truly, it's just simply, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I don't want people to think bad of me. I mean, we do this in our own relationships at home, like, you know, just to resolve something, I'll say I'm sorry, but I don't really mean it. I just don't like the consequences. 
of what I've done, and so I'm going to ask you for forgiveness. And when you apply that to God, that means you may not know the Lord. That's adding circumcision. It's adding human effort. It's adding to it. So in other words, it is not repentance. It is not fleeing from self and from sin and running to Christ as your life, your treasure, your all. I'll give anything for Him. Yes, I'll be rejected. Yes, I'll die. Yes, I'll be persecuted. For Him, by faith, I do that in weakness. Not as though I'm sufficient, but because He is sufficient. So it could be that. It could be we've added that to how we understand what it means to come to know Jesus. So it could be simply a worldly grief, or it could be something else. It could be something that we hold rightly as important as baptism. You may think to yourself, well, I've been baptized, and so I am saved. No. Baptism does not save you, and it cannot ever save you. It is only Jesus. Or maybe it's the Lord's Supper. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper in a moment, and maybe you come to that every time, just kind of thinking that if I do this, Jesus plus Lord's Supper equals heaven. (laughs) It's not the Lord's Supper. It is only Christ. It could be attending church. It could be a church membership. If I join a church, then I'm saved. Now, all of those matter, but we aren't told to put our faith in any of those things as the basis of our salvation. You are told to put your faith alone in Christ alone. And so Paul's admonition, his pleading here is not to abandon grace, not to abandon Christ. And in in this, it's not about making a show of righteousness here and now so that people will think something of you. Nor so they can think that you're no, you know, you're like more holy than other people. But instead, with verse five, we see we are called to wait for the hope of righteousness to come. So by faith in Christ, we are waiting for glorification. If you know Christ right now, you are justified. It means God has made a declaration over you. He has said that you are righteous in his sight, not guilty because of Jesus, not because of you. But when you stand before the Lord, where the world, you know, they laugh us off and they say, all those Christians, they're crazy. We have the moral high ground. The world says they're unrighteous. We know what we're doing. They're all crazy folk. Well, in that day, our righteousness will not be hidden any longer. The world has not heard God's declaration over you, but it will then. 
Verse 5, for through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And so we go on in this life living by the Spirit of God, by faith. We go on then like Noah, and we go on then like Abraham, and we go on then like Paul, until we go and see our Lord and treasure face to face. And so, walk by faith. Walk by faith. So the expression or kind of the, the natural outflow of the Spirit in our lives is verse 6, is faith working through love. So faith is not, not just meaningless. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, okay, well, not circumcision, not the law. You know, faith doesn't do anything except you just believe in Jesus and that's it. Like, there's no change, nothing else. It's just that. Well, faith is not just that. It doesn't mean there's no change in your life whatsoever. It's not meaningless. It isn't empty like circumcision. But the natural outflow of spirit-empowered faith is love. And our understanding of love is to be centered around Jesus Christ. We're getting all sorts of ideas of what love is from the world. Of, I mean, Valentine's Day, right? Is that what love is? Well, where are we getting our definition? Well, love, in its truest definition, is centered around Jesus Christ. That means it is sacrificial. It is self-giving. It is self-denying. It is serving, whether anyone notices it or not. It is enduring. It is abounding with the sweet aroma of Christ. And so a life set free by Christ will love by the Spirit of God. And so we need to ask then, as we look at our lives, as we look at our families, as we look at our church, as we look at all these things, our marriages then, are we walking by faith? And then the expression of that faith then would be love. Are you seeing that in those areas? And you will not love like this. You will not love like Christ apart from faith. And so we are called then to walk by faith, saints. Faith is not something you throw off when you become a Christian. Remember Hebrews 11. (laughs) They, throughout their lives, continued on, pressed on by faith, by faith, by faith in all things. So as you make dinner, (laughs) are you walking by faith? As you work on your home, mowing the lawn, are you walking by faith? As you go to work, are you walking by faith? And so we don't, and I urge us, don't flee from grace. Don't hold fast to true freedom. 
And don't flee either from the offense of the cross. Don't flee from the offense of the cross. And this is what Paul talks about here next in verses 7 through 12. And before he kind of fully engages this, though, he, he asks them, you know, what happened? What happened to you? <laughs> you know, you were running well. You were looking to the gospel. You weren't adding anything. You're just saying, you're Jesus, he is enough. What in the world happened to you? You were running well. But as they ran, they stumbled. And they stumbled over a lie. They began believing the message they were hearing from the Judaizers. Oh, yeah, you need need some circumcision. (laughs) You need more law. Do you have enough law in your diet? (laughs) Well, you need that. Otherwise, you're not saved. They began believing the Judaizers and they took the well-adorned package. However, salvation by works is not a gift. It is not a gift. It masquerades as obedience, but in reality, what it's doing is it is rejecting Jesus Christ. It's ironic. We think when we're like walking in legalism, that we're actually like, man, look at me. Look at my obedience now. But it's exactly the opposite. Ironically, legalism is not obedience, but it actually keeps you from obedience. The exact opposite of what you think it's going to do, it does. And this is why Paul, he says in verse 7, Who hindered you from obeying the truth? When they went to circumcision, when they went to worldly grief, when they went to the law, they actually stopped obeying. So contrary, right? To the way we kind of think through things. And we can think through things. But obedience does matter but it only matters as an outflow, as a fruit of salvation. It is from fruit, as a fruit of the fact that you have trusted in Christ and you presently trust in Christ right now. You're not hoping in that decision way back here saying, oh yeah, I had that then, but I have no present faith in Christ. If you don't have any present faith in Christ, you need to ask if you know Christ at all. Whatever that was. And so, as an outflow of faith, we obey our Lord and we get baptized. I love Jesus, and so I'm going to obey him. By faith, I'm looking to him, and so I celebrate the Lord's Supper. He is my only hope. That is why I'm taking part in the Supper, is he is the one I need. He is the one I'm trusting in. And so as a fruit, these things flow out from us and not 
as a ladder to climb in order to gain salvation. Legalism, it is faithless, it is Christless, and it is graceless works. So note the words of Paul from Romans. And this just, I wonder if we think of ourselves and and faith as this important. But listen to what he says in Romans 14, 23. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Did you think faith was that important in the Christian life? I mean, we say so. But do you believe it? Do you see it? Paul, he's not denouncing <clears throat> obedience or, or telling us to throw off obedience in the Christian life. He's saying that from first to last and everything in between, we are to walk by faith. All of that is to be by faith. And by the Spirit of God, when you walk by faith, what happens is obedience doesn't stop or grow less. It actually greatens and it grows like a tree with its fruit. The fruit become greater and they abound because you're not depending on yourself. You're depending on the power of God. That is how the tree begins producing fruit and it just goes everywhere. However, we do see here that a lie, as the Judaizers were giving them, we see that a lie goes far. A lie goes far. Verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So in other words, their lie has gone on to affect the whole body. And that's so often how it goes is it just seems like this insignificant kind of thing. But the lie goes out, and it spreads, and more and more are deceived, like cancer. When, and this is so often the case when God is at work. When the work of God is evident, and the Spirit of God is at work, what so often happens is some sort of lie, some sort of heresy, and certainly opposition arises. And so this is what they were doing with Paul as well. They were opposing him. The Spirit of God was a work among the Galatians, and here come the Judaizers. <laughs> and so we are told there in Acts 16, <clears throat> verse 1 through 3, that Timothy who was a Gentile or Greek, he was circumcised by Paul. Hmm. So in Acts 16.3, he was circumcised by Paul because of the Jews who were in those places. They all knew that, this, that his father was a Greek. Timothy's father was a Greek. So because of that, the Judaizers, ah, what are you doing, Paul? And so they're here, and they come and they make this accusation against Paul. Oh, Paul, no, no, you are a hypocrite, sir. 
And so they say, aha, Paul says no to circumcision and all. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's doing that. But see how he went and he told Timothy to go and be circumcised? I mean, what's up with that? You see, he preaches circumcision as well. And this is why Paul says what he says in verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? And so there is one big distinction between Paul's practice and the Judaizers' practice. The Judaizers were were saying that you must be circumcised to be saved, while Paul was saying only Christ saves. Timothy wasn't circumcised so he could be saved, but so that nothing would get in the way of the gospel. I won't go into it, but you can read Paul's view on this, doing everything and anything for the sake of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11, 1. And so what the Judaizers did then, Christ was preaching, or Paul was preaching Christ and Christ alone, but they took Paul and his message and his practice and they mangled it, they misrepresented it, and they twisted it. And so it is that Paul, he says, oh no, I don't preach to appease as you do, Judaizers. You preach an easy message, a persecutionless message, a no-nothing message. I preach the whole gospel. I preach the cross and freedom in Christ and what Christ has done. True freedom through the cross and through Christ is offensive to the world. As we are facing pressure on numerous sides in our day, friends, may we also keep preaching the cross. All around right now, we are being told, essentially, You know, we we would like your message if you would just remove, you know, that whole point about sin. Just take that out. Oh, also take out the judgment part in hell, God's holiness, God's justice, His wrath, you know, Christ dying for sinners. Just take all that out, please, you know. And just remove all of that, you know, and we'll gladly, we'll go ahead and we'll join your church. Oh, wait, no, sorry, I forgot a few other things. And also remove the resurrection as well. Just get rid of that also. Oh, and that Bible and the authority and inspiration, all that stuff, just do away with that. We don't like that either. Oh, in the last judgment, that, we just, that doesn't make us feel good. <laughs> and that's all. Just remove all those things. Oh, wait, I forgot some more. Also remove... The whole idea of how marriage is between a man and a woman was created by God to reflect the gospel and all of that also, and gender as being male and female only. Just just do all that and then we'll be happy. There's the pressure from the world. We just asked to that, I mean, okay. Well, what exactly is left? Nothing. Right? A lie is what is left, a crossless, empty gospel. 
And that is not what we are to go and to preach. We must offer the full cup of the gospel to all people or cease preaching the gospel altogether. It is either all true or not true. So friends, keep preaching the whole gospel in our day. You are not responsible for the world's response. But you are responsible for yours. And when you come before the Lord on that day, will He say, you have blood on your hands. You have not preached the whole gospel to all. And so I plead with you, preach and keep preaching the whole gospel. Keep preaching the cross. And I plead with you also, keep on the path of the cross as well. Preaching Christ and following Him will be costly. The path of the cross will be costly. In America, we so often want Christ without the cross. Yet, friends, there's no such thing as a crossless Christianity. It is built in to knowing Jesus. He says, if you, anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Amen. It's inherent. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. So we have a lot of questions to ask about that verse in 2 Timothy, right? Do you desire to live a godly life? Then why aren't you being persecuted? <laughs> Just questions, right? Questions we wonder, we need to ask, does anyone know that you're a Christian? Have you ever been opposed for being a Christian? Many questions. You know, recently I read of two women in Laos. You know, one woman, her name was V, and she came to faith in Christ. And she came to faith in Christ in her 70s. There's an older woman, and she came to faith after worshiping the spirits in her area. She was into animism, which is worship of spirits, and so she was worshiping all these false gods. But then God brought her to faith in Christ. And so immediately she began sharing her faith. And she was able to lead another woman to faith in Christ. A woman by the name of Sun. And so Sun, she had been married seven times. She had struggled with all variety of things. Drugs. She had been abused again and again. And even she was almost killed by one of her husbands who took aim with a gun and shot and missed her. So she said this after coming to faith in Christ. She said, before I was a Christian, I was so poor. I was half dead, hopeless, and not knowing anything. And once I accepted Christ, I was full of joy, so much joy that I wanted to share this good news with everybody and so that's what she did. And she's doing. 
And so upon sharing the good news with her husband, he said, no way, and he left her. You are on your own, son. I will have nothing more to do with you. And so son continued sharing the gospel, and V also. And as she went out sharing the gospel, the authorities, they threatened her, and they told her, you, you must stop sharing the gospel and to really push her and pressure her into this all the more. They went to her adopted son and they told him to go and beat her, to pressure her out of sharing the gospel of Christ, which is exactly what he did to his 70-year-old mom. And she said that he knocked her down. This is 2022. This happened, or 2021, this happened. He knocked her down, he kicked her again and again as though he was playing, like kicking a soccer ball. Yet, what do these two women have to say about all this? What do they have to say about a cross-filled Christianity? This is what V and Son say, they say, if persecution comes, we will face it head on for Christ. There it is. A freedom that is not dependent on the world. It's not dependent on what you have. It's not dependent on persecution. It's not dependent on whether you're healthy. It's not dependent on how young you are, how old you are. It is only dependent on Jesus Christ. So friends, keep on the path of the cross. Throw off all facades. The American facade of Christianity that we have created, all fake Christianities, all freedomless legalisms, and be Free in Christ. Live by the power of the Spirit of God as those freed by faith in Christ. In Him, in Christ is true freedom. And if you don't have that freedom this morning, you can have it. You can have it right now. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So may you do that. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know every one of us in this room. As you are working in our hearts, as we've heard your word, may you help us respond to it. If it means... Someone here has realized they're not free. They don't know Christ. May they trust in Jesus today. May they put their faith in the one who can free them, even now. May you be with all of us that we would consider ourselves, consider our hearts, and glory in the truth that Christ is our freedom. May we go 
and walk by faith and preach the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.